and welcome to another episode of A Need to Read. And I've got a very interesting topic for you today on love and intimacy with Sean Galanos. But before we get in to this very juicy episode that I'm sure you're all going to love, let's just chat about the sponsor of the podcast. Now, the podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And BetterHelp provide an online therapy service to millions of people all over the world. Now, going to therapy can be very scary. I'm going back to therapy for the fourth time at the moment, and it's still scary for me. So that doesn't change, but I'm pretty sure it was Susan David who said it, that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is fear walking. So if you're afraid of therapy, then that's probably a good sign that you should go. And with a link in the description of this episode, you'll get 10% off your first month which gives you weekly access to a counsellor who is matched to your needs. So that is betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read and that will get you 10% off your first month of online therapy. And I feel like if you're thinking about it, then the time is right. But with the sponsors out of the way, let's get in to the episode. Sean Gallinus, welcome to A Need to Read. Uh, as I was just saying there, thank you very much for agreeing to come on and, and chatting to us and getting a bit of a US insight into dating and relationships, which I'm sure transfers quite well to us over, over on this side of the pond. Yeah, there's some, there's some subtle differences that maybe you and I can talk about, but I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me on, Ed. Perfect. Excellent. Um, well, it'd be good for every, everyone listening just to get an understanding. And I'm going to ask that horrible question of, of just saying a little bit about what it is you do. Yeah. My name is Sean Galanos. I am a speaker and love coach. And essentially I teach people communication and intimacy skills and tools for better, more loving relationships. And a lot of that stuff revolves around open, honest, and direct communication, which is, I think, something that we all struggle with, including myself. Um, and so that's the majority of my work. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I love how you refer to it as a skill then because everyone works on so many different parts of their life, but the love and intimacy part, which can make your life quite fulfilling. People seem to just ignore. Yeah. It's another part of our lives that we can absolutely work on. I remember, I forget where I read this, I think it might be in one of the books that we might talk about later, um, M. Scott Peck's A Road Less Traveled, where he says that anything in life can be improved with an application of you know resources, time, energy, right? So anything we yeah. focus on, we can actually improve, but it's rare that it just kind of improves on its own. It's totally in everybody's wheelhouse to be able to improve this stuff, to have more loving, fulfilling relationships. And it, it's unlikely to just solve itself. Any problem you have is unlikely to solve itself on its own. I know. It sucks, doesn't it? You kind of realize that as, as, as time goes on, you're like, right, so I want to fix this. Can someone save me? Or I suppose it's just going to have to be me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the, that's why we seek out information, right? That's why we read books, so that we can get some sort of some insight onto what the best solution is. The problem is there are hundreds of different conflicting views about everything. So we sort of get yeah. into this paralysis around like what it is that we do, whether it's a new workout program or how to deal with conflict in a relationship. This gets really, really hard the more you read. There has to be a point where you're just like, okay, you put the book aside, you put the program aside, and then you actually do the work. You do action steps to, to, to try to solve something. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And people get obsessed with it. Um, but I suppose it's not necessarily a, a case when people come to you. It's that it's like the first time that they're looking at love or relationships as something that they can put time into and develop. So I'd, I'd just like to understand sort of how you came about doing what you do. What what was your sort of journey to becoming <laughs> this sort of authority on 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 that part of life? Yeah, I uh, I think I just really struggled with love and relationships from an early age as well. Uh, I think the the dating and the having sex part was kind of easy. 
-hmm. It was everything after that, right? So opening up emotionally, asking for what I want, getting clarity around what it is that they want, like all that stuff really seemed complicated, awkward. I felt like whatever I was doing, there must be a better way, right? And so that was sort of the beginning. The beginning was me wondering like, where can I get resources on this stuff? Where can I have like an easier time connecting with people on an emotional, intimate level? So that was like sort of the the beginning phases. And then I always had like a well of passion for talking about love, sex, and relationships. So I was the guy that people would come to in my friend group when they had some relationship trauma or drama or didn't know how to proceed. Even though my love life wasn't in order, I I still was like willing to go there there with people almost all the time, right? So there's a well of passion there. And then uh, and then I was driving a taxi cab. This is sort of like, you know, a, a weird serendipitous situation, but I was driving a taxi cab in San Francisco and um, driving a taxi is, you know, fun for a few months and then actually really boring and stressful and kind of, you know, n- not a fun job. And a friend of mine said, oh, maybe you should, you know, have conversations with your passengers about sex and love. And so I did that and started recording those conversations uh, using GoPros and cameras and lights, microphones, and I put them on YouTube. It's still all up there. If you just Googled the love drive on YouTube, you'll find all those videos. And that's basically how it started, right? So it's like public facing conversations about love and sex started in the back of a taxi cab in San Francisco some seven or eight years ago. And then through throughout these, you know, remaining years between then and now, I got certified as a coach, as a rape crisis counselor, as a sex educator. Uh, I started writing blog posts. I started a podcast. I started making videos, started coaching people, and then eventually uh, teaching courses, online courses on this stuff. I have seven courses that are available online. And then also speaking more publicly on, you know, communication, intimacy, sexuality, and relationships. Yeah. That's fascinating. I love that idea that you just, someone's like, you should do this. You're like, yeah, do you know what? I should, shouldn't I? Like setting up a GoPro and chatting to strangers about love is such a good idea because I'm, I'm sure there was so much variety in like culture, sexuality that just added different layers to relationships. Sure. And most people didn't want to talk to me, right? Like 90% of people were just like, there's no way you're putting this conversation on YouTube. Um, but you know, every now and then there'd be, there'd be people and there, there was a, a, a broad variety of, of folks and different perspectives. It was a fun project. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Did you find, um, you say people don't want to put it on the internet. People don't want to put it out there. I find often people outside of this space really struggle being open about their feelings, especially when it comes to relationships. And it's almost as if the relationship is like this safe haven of their private life that they won't let anyone in apart from the other person they're in the relationship with just about. And that love is this thing that is so meant for two people and you should never tell someone how in love you're in, or you should never tell them how unin love you're in. Um, is it quite difficult for you as a coach to like get people to open up? With me personally? Mm. I mean, not really because well, by the time they come to me, they're 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 ready to spill the beans. Yeah, um, yeah. We do live in a culture that doesn't really value us talking about this stuff publicly. Um, there, for some reason, is some obsession around uh, wanting to really look look cool and act cool and uh, not be needy and not have any needs. When really, if you if it you know if you go down to it. Uh, we are a needy species, right? We can't do life on our own. Uh, we do need connection, community, relationships, sexuality. Like this is some of our core basic needs after safety is the the need for belonging. Hmm. So if you if you go down to the core, like we are a needy, we are we're needy, and there's nothing wrong with that. But for some reason, at some point, it became cool not to have any needs, not to. Uh, depend on other people, not to open up and not to let people know what's exactly going on. Um, yeah. And that's that's too bad. It's really too bad because when you open up to more than just your partner, then you start getting like a, a, a richer sort of landscape. 
you have access to more people that you can share with so that one partner doesn't become your everything, right? That's sort of yeah. something that, that is weird and sort of new in the last like, you know, century where, um, or even a half century where the primary partnership is, is everything is, is, yeah. you know, the, the people that we rely on for security, for connection, for sexuality. And it's an incredible amount of pressure on your primary relationship. And so the beauty of opening up to a whole bunch of different people in a variety of different ways is that you, you have the safety net, um, that you can rely on when your primary person, if you have one, if you're lucky enough to have one, isn't available to meet all of your needs. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There, there is that, you, you said about people trying to be cool. And I think it's very much so with the generation that just coming up 18, 19, like, and, and my generation, I'm, I'm 26. I think in, in the dating world, people are afraid to say like straight away, Oh, I like you. That's yeah. like their, their biggest fear is like that, that becomes some big deal just to say, Oh, like, I like you. I like spending time with you. People are afraid to say that, it's, it seems nowadays, which is obviously sort of adding to people's subsequent relationship issues further down the line. With um, with your experience, obviously, you speak to so many people. Does it come down to bravery at some point in terms of just being able to say how you feel is, is an act of bravery? Yeah, courage definitely is one big piece. Uh, and that's courage is what is required for surmounting or overcoming fear. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that the root fear that we have is um, fear of not being enough, right? Fear of inadequacy. And I think tangentially, that fear is also manifested in the fear of, um, scaring people away. Yeah. So we don't tell someone that we like them because we're scared that they're going to leave. Mm. Right. And the only reason they would leave is because we are not enough for them or conversely, we are too much, right? Too enthusiastic. You like me too much, which means you're not enough of something else, right? You're not cool enough. So what it all comes down to really is the fear that, that we are not, uh, worthy of the love of another person, which we are totally like intrinsically as a human being, you are loving, you are worthy of love, you're deserving of this. Um, but we kind of overthink, we get scared that the other person is going to say no, and they very well might. I mean, that is totally a viable option, right? You tell someone that you like them, they say, whoa, I don't like you like that. Or whoa, that's too much too soon. And they run away, which is that is just going to happen. Like mathematically, that's a reality. That is a yeah. total possible outcome. Like we, we do have to prepare ourselves for the fact that you are not for everybody. Yeah. And God forbid you would be for everybody. That would be exhausting. If everybody was for everybody, it would be exhausting, but it's the, it's the opposite. Like we are not for everybody. We're actually for very few people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, courage. I mean, it really does come down to having some courage to overcome the fear that you are not enough or that you are too much or that your disclosure will make somebody run away. And if it does, good, right? That person is not the kind of person that you are going to be opening up to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you think some, in some instances, I and mean, I know that it will definitely be in some instances, so maybe I've worded that wrong, but you think a lot of the time nowadays with the connection that there is in the world, like I could potentially speak to someone who is in the United States now and like have a romantic relationship with them via the internet. Therefore I would not spend time focusing on people that are around me. Do you think there's this kind of like paradox of choice that is getting in the way of genuine human connection for people nowadays? Yeah. Well, there's this thing called choice paralysis. I don't know if you're familiar. They did this study where they had, um, people go up to a grocery store and in the jam and jelly aisle, they have like 50 different brands and types of jams and jellies yeah. and people got overwhelmed and didn't buy any of them. Whereas they, then the, in the other group, they had just six, six flavors 
and jam and jelly sales went through the roof because wow. it was much easier to pick between the six than between the 40. So yeah, there is definitely this choice paralysis happening uh, with the rise of online dating and seeming, seemingly endless supply of people that you can be in a relationship with. And the, the problem there is that I think a lot of people want to optimize for the best possible outcome when it comes to a, a selecting a life partner. Right, like, why wouldn't you yeah. maximize for the job that pays you the most money, that has the best benefits, that you know X, Y, and Z? So yeah, that does happen. There's one. That's one factor, right? Is choice paralysis, um, rather than just like uh, looking at good enough, right? Like this relationship is good enough. This person is good enough for me to build a fulfilling, happy, lasting relationship with. So that's yeah. one thing. And then the other thing is it's sort of like a self sabotage. Uh, and I don't speak a lot about self-sabotage, but, um, you know, choosing someone who lives in a different country rather than somebody that lives in your country, if you're looking for someone to spend a lot of time with, it doesn't seem like the best strategy, no. right? Like, why would you be dating someone virtually if you actually want somebody in person, right? And then some, some of the reasons for that is, oh, uh, that person might actually be you know, have a fear of intimacy, right? And yeah. so uh, dating people that are unavailable for whatever reason, whether uh, emotionally or logistically or, or, or whatever, is safer because you won't ever really build the kind of relationship that uh, will force you to look at your intimacy issues, that will force you to show up on a consistent basis, that will force you to deal with conflict in a loving way. Right. So yeah. a bit of a self-sabotage thing. And, and we, we oftentimes we self-sabotage um, as a defense mechanism mm. just to prevent ourselves from getting hurt in a way that probably feels really similar to how you were, you were wounded as a child. Yeah. Right? It's a defense mechanism that, that may be uh, a little bit, you know, trigger happy in our adult life. Yeah. Right. So, so those are a few of the reasons why we might look for people that aren't a good fit when we're actually really looking for something else. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think um, touching on intimacy issues there, I think I think they're really common nowadays. And I'm just essentially speaking from my own experience because I labeled myself as someone with intimacy issues for a while. So I would say, oh, I've got intimacy issues, so I can't hold hands or I won't be able to like walk, walk down the beach and like touch someone on the back. And my friends joked with me once because I was on a, like a beach date walk with this girl and she touched my back and I had to go and speak to my therapist about it because it made me feel so uncomfortable. But I was fine to have sex with her. Hmm. And it's just that emotional sort of cutoff that I think we kind of convince ourselves, ourselves we're in because it comes back to that cool thing that we were talking about at the start it's almost as if it's cool to have intimacy issues it's cool to have the problems that prevent you from being happy nowadays i mean i would just say that probably everybody has some form of issues mm -hmm. right so in some way shape or form we all struggle with opening up emotionally being vulnerable because what happens when you open up to love is that you also open up to getting hurt. Yeah. Right. And that's scary. No one really wants that. So I think, yeah, I don't know if it's cool to have intimacy issues. <laughs> I think what's cool is admitting that we all have intimacy issues, right? So, so yeah, yeah. good on you for uh, realizing that there might be something blocking you from love. I think that awareness is the first step in yeah. healing anything that we want healed, you know, any sort of unhealthy patterns or coping mechanisms that we have that were sort of like no longer really serving us. Step one is to admit that you have it, right? Like yeah, without sure. awareness, it's nothing. You got, you can't, it's like you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, right? yeah for sure. Um, step two is like awareness isn't enough, right? Awareness that you have intimacy issues is actually just annoying because now you're doing the things but with some awareness of why you're doing the things but yeah. no desire to actually change what it is that you're doing um so step three is you know an action plan how are we going to move through 
or forward with this these issues. And I think I kind of want to renege on my comment that everybody has intimacy issues. I think we all have zones of development. Some yeah. people might be really skilled in opening up uh, emotionally and intimately and vulnerably, and then might really struggle with some other area of their life, like maybe um, developing a career that makes them happy. Right. Yeah. And then you'll have conversely the other person that is super, super career oriented, has that kind of on lockdown, but has never really experienced what it looks like to open up emotionally or intimately. So I, I just want to renege on that because I, I want to recognize all the folks that have done a lot of work on their emotional, intimate body and are able to to engage in that space on a regular basis. Um, yeah. I just want to like if if that is you, good job. Um, that work is not easy to do. And I think it will also pay dividends for the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, and it comes as like a, I'm going to say thank you for that. Because I'd say I'm I'm that person now to the point where a relationship I've been in now since like March time, as soon as I was in it, I was like, well, I can't let myself be held back. Like I've actually been, I've been following you for quite a while and I, like, I, I love your like direct approach do things like, well, you like someone, you just tell them. You just communicate honestly. And I was like, well, it comes to a stage where I had to do that with myself to be like, I have to be open to being hurt to feel all the good stuff. So I was like, cool, I'll just completely surrender and just go with it. And turns out I don't really have intimacy issues. And someone could touch me on the back and hold my hand all they want. And saying the word love, no wonder makes me feel like I've got a stomach cramp. And I think it has all come from acknowledging the fact that it's it's about honest and open communication and just being able to surrender to those scary feelings. I'm really happy for you. And I want to say that um, you will be challenged by other aspects of intimacy as you move mm -hmm. through this relationship. Yeah. Right. So there's just there's just stages of comfort and discomfort, sort of like a cycle. And uh, w while you might feel comfortable right now, you might experience something down the line that is going to test your belief that you uh, are not scared of intimacy. I think oh it, yeah, no, I'm not. I've, I've, I'm, I know, I'm, <laughs> I'm so nowhere near a finished article. <laughs> if there's anyone that can acknowledge that, that's me. It's like a, every time I think I'm doing something right, the universe or someone or me just shows me that I don't have it. And I think that that is essentially life is you think you have it figured out. And then someone's like, nah, not yet. A little bit more. Yeah. Just on your deathbed, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hopefully something after that. Who knows? Um, so th there's a couple of things that I'd, I'd written down to ask you. And you spoke about this earlier about connection. And, and I think everyone is aware nowadays that we have a need for human connection, whether that's in friends or family or whatever that is. But do you think that we're sort of designed and thrive at best in a relationship with someone intimately or is being single? Oh. All right. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, being single is totally all right. That's just, <laughs> let's de let's debunk that. Um, yeah, I think relationships can be extremely supportive and nurturing mm. for the growth of another person, right? So yeah, ultimately, what I want in a relationship is a safe place for me to be myself. Yeah. And a safe place for me to explore what growing looks like. So there's a lot of benefits to being in a, in like a, let's say a, you know, romantic relationship. That's not to say that you can't get these benefits from other relationships in your life, right? A yeah. deep, intimate friendship can probably give you, is that a grenade water bottle? That's hilarious. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> grenade the brand, not, not that I just love grenades, but they, they sent me one. So I suppose now they're That's getting funny. a shout out on the podcast. So you're welcome. It's grenade. like a protein, <laughs> protein shaker bottle. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can get, you can get a lot of the benefits that you would get in a romantic relationship with a deep, intimate friendship. Uh, I don't think that it's necessary to be in a, a loving, committed, you know, romantic relationship for you to have a fulfilling life. I think you can have a fulfilling life without that. I do think that there are, um, 
There are zones of development or of growth that are easier to access in a romantic relationship, especially because of the sexual component. Yeah. Right. Sex is one way that you can access deep emotional intimacy and vulnerability and heal parts of you that needs why you that that component might be missing from friendship it's not to yeah. say that you can't have sex with friends that there's some you know relationship types that you can do that with i don't have a lot of experience with having sex with friends mm -hmm. but uh yeah sexual healing can be really really uh, impactful and yeah. that usually happens in a safe container right in order to open up sexually to someone and to have them access all of the vulnerabilities that come with that uh, oftentimes that has to be a safe person and oftentimes that has to be sort of a romantic relationship just because of the nature of of sex so um i don't think it's required i think it's something that i value i think it's something that a lot of people value uh, I also think that it's totally okay to be single. It's also totally okay to not want to be in a relationship. There are a lot of people who don't want to be in a relationship, who mm. aren't in a space to be in a relationship, who have had traumatic relationships and, and have different um, uh, so, or, you know, negative associations about relationships. And uh, all those are okay, right? Society, unfortunately, tends to value people that are in relationships more. I mean, if you even just look at the tax code in the United States, yeah, right? People who join, who file jointly, right? Who are married, who file jointly, get more tax benefits than those who file as a single individual. That is fascinating. Yeah, it's fucked up. So it sucks for <laughs> single folks who also want to experience the, the tax benefits of being in a joint union. I'm sure there are, there are ways around it. I don't know. I don't know any of them, but um, society, you know, all the Disney movies, rom-coms, yeah. uh, they're, they're really, you know, the, the couple thrives at the end, right? That's who wins. Yeah. It's often the couple. It's not the single person. So unfortunately the message that we're getting is that, um, you are more valuable as an individual if you're in a relationship. And if you're not in a relationship, that there's something wrong with you. Uh, I don't think that either of those things are true. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. One interesting answer. I think I said it's fascinating that Capitalism 100% serves people that are married. And like, I think, especially in the UK, like having being married helps with mortgages and like everything comes down to this like tiny slip of paper that in reality really doesn't mean that much. Um, unless, of course, it does mean that much to you because that's, right. that's, that's, that's when it means that much. <laughs> I suppose it's, it's all up for interpretation. I have to be careful sometimes that I don't turn subjective things into objective things. Um, you just can't, you, yeah, you can't speak with any sort of like, you know, absolutes. Yeah. Uh, because there's always someone that's going to be like, well, you know, you're wrong. Yeah, for sure. And there'll be someone who could just could disagree with everything that both of us say in this podcast, because we each have what, like six feet of DNA in each one of ourselves. So there's no way we're all going to be the same and all be able to agree um, on, on something. But uh, before we get into like books for relationships and, and things that have helped you in terms of like expanding your knowledge when it comes to love and intimacy, I did just see on Instagram, you just like posted an article on hurt feelings and being able to communicate effectively around hurt feelings. Cause I think that is, definitely an area of the relationships that I have personally struggled with, I think, because when your feelings are hurt, trying to communicate that with someone else, you then worry about hurting their feelings, which means sometimes people will, will censor themselves. So I didn't read the article because it was literally two minutes before we, we jumped on this call when I was chasing you around the, um, doing things, but I'd just like you to speak on sort of communicating with hurt feelings. If you have any advice for people, Yeah, hurt feelings is uh, sort of like what you said. Uh, people don't really talk about hurt feelings because they don't want to hurt. It's like it's really strange. They don't want to bring up their hurt feelings, so they don't want to hurt somebody else's feelings. So at some somewhere in the equation, the other person's feelings are actually more important than your feelings, mm -hmm. right? Which isn't how it works, really. Like no one's feelings are, are more important or more valid than anybody else's. They're all equally valid. Uh, I think the beauty in sharing what is going on for you is so that you can give somebody else more clarity around, you know, your story. 
Yeah. Right. Um, one tip for how to talk about hurt feelings is to set the stage for how difficult this is for you to do. And this works for anything potentially sensitive or challenging to communicate, which is just to say, Hey, I have something to share with you. And I am really not that great at doing this. I don't have any experience doing it. I've never really done it. I've never seen my parents do it, but I'm going to do this because it's really important to me and to us and to our relationship. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's the setup set up for any hard conversation is, Hey, I don't have a lot of experience doing this. I might fuck it up, but it's worth me sharing this, right? Yeah. This could be anything. This could be like, permission. this could be breaking up with somebody. This could be telling that's number one. Number two is, uh, you know, uh, sort of a page out of the book, a uh, nonviolent communication by Dr. Rosenberg question yeah. mark. Um, is that right? Uh, I don't know, but I, I love a bit of nonviolent communication. I think it's such a, yeah, uh, obviously it's an effective way. If, if not somewhat robotic yeah. to someone who's not well-versed in it, like when you, when you nonviolently totally. communicate with someone who hasn't got a clue what you're talking about, like, okay, so your social skills have just, gone downhill <laughs> even though they've gone uphill <laughs> it could be it can it can sound yeah it could sound very formulaic for sure uh yeah Marshall rosenberg or rosenberg i'm not sure how to pronounce the last name but basically you know use i statements and be very specific about bring <laughs> use i statements but actually start the start the conversation by saying when you did this i felt this Right. That's sort of what it, this is like a very short, condensed version of nonviolent communication. When you uh, flirted with the waitress, I felt embarrassed. Mm. Right. Th- that's it. And sometimes I like to share with somebody the story that I'm telling myself. Right. The story that I'm telling myself is that um, you think she's prettier than me and that you don't want to be in a relationship with me. Yeah. So, a lot of I, a lot of like keeping it personal, keeping it to my experience, not projecting what you think they're doing. But when I saw you flirt with the waitress, I felt embarrassed. It's embarrassing for me to be like at dinner with my boyfriend when he's flirting with somebody else. The story I'm telling myself is that I'm not worthy of your attention and that you ultimately don't want to be with me. And that's really sad. Yeah. So we're really keeping it self-focused and just sharing our experience. And I can't script everything, right? Like this, these are a lot lot of my scripts are openers to deeper conversations. Yeah. And if things go off the rails, like I don't, I can't be there coaching people through the whole thing, Um, which which it, it might go off the rails. That's the thing, especially if you're never, if you're not used to sharing this kind of, kind of disclosure, then your person, whoever that might be, your friend, your family, your boss, you know, whatever, they're not used to receiving it either. Yeah. Right? If, if you're not used to talking about your hurt feelings, they're not used to hearing about your hurt feelings. It might be, you know, really, they might get really defensive about that. And that's okay. It's okay. It's super uncomfortable. And that's going to have to lead to more conversations. Right. So I think I just remember um, my first therapist, Dr. Jay Talkoff, saying the more you communicate, the more they communicate. Right? So the yeah. more you open up, the more they open up. And that's going to lead to more uncomfortable conversations. And eventually, the more you do this, you do end up clearing the air about a lot of stuff. Yeah. You stop assuming what everybody else is thinking or what's going, in their, what's going on in their head or what their expectations are. You start getting actual answers around the, the really important relationship context or dynamics that are, that are building in your relationship. And so... After a while, there's just more clarity. There's more openness. There's more transparency. You know your person more, whether the person is your family member, your boss, your friend, whatever. You know them more and you have a richer understanding of their story. They have a richer understanding of your story. And then it becomes a little bit lighter. At first, when you're going to do this work, it's going to be freaking exhausting. It's like untangling a bag of, of like a knotted rope. You know, like there's a lot of shit to process 
until you get to like, you know, the flowy, light and happy moments as a result of all of this work. And one last thing is that, you know, if you're faced with a, a bag of knotted ropes, right, a really complex relationship uh, with complex dynamics that have to be unsorted, that work happens slowly over time. You're not going to like yeah. book a weekend with your person and go through all of the shit. You're going to do it slowly over time with periods of rest and play in between because that is manageable. That is sustainable. But like no one is signing up for an intensive four day week long, you know, uh, deep dive into all of the traumas and stories and intricate complexities of our lives so that we can, you know, finally breathe easier. We're going to do this work over time because life is kind of long. Um, if you really yeah. look at it that way. Yeah, for sure. And I guess that that comes with time as well is, is people will only start to feel comfortable enough to like open up their bag and show you their knots. Yeah. after a certain amount of time because they're not going to do that within the first month because there's there's open and honest communication and then there's saying hey this is my trauma like it will take a few months for people to be like comfortable enough to do it would you recommend sharing straight away or, or is there still that sort of grace period of like waiting until you find out whether they're the right person to tell them because i guess it's it's a bit of a gray area well, yeah, it is a gray area. I mean, you obviously don't want to dump everything. You know, you don't want to open up your bag uh, immediately right off the bat. I call that puking on my shoes. You know, you meet someone and they, you're like, hey, how's it going? And they immediately just start telling you all the fucked up shit that's happened to them. That's inappropriate. And then um, being so closed off that you don't share anything uh, is also not the best strategy. So yeah, there's a lot of gray area. I don't think you have to wait to know if they are the one. And I use the one very loosely with air quotes because I don't believe in the one. But if they are you know, someone that's safe to build a long-term relationship with, I don't think you have to wait for that because you won't know if they're safe without testing out if they're safe. Yeah. Right. So this is how you do that by disclosing one thing, right? Why by bringing up one situation. So they yeah. do something, there's a behavior that's unacceptable to you or that's hurtful. You can bring it up to see how do they react? Right? Do they yeah. take your disclosure with um do they take it seriously? Do they try to repair? Are they available to talk about it or do they gaslight you? Do they say, oh, you're just being too sensitive or do they uh, make light of or make a joke at your sensitivity or your hurt feelings, right? This is really important information that you want to get early on to figure out yeah. whether this is somebody that's worth exploring or um, investing in, right? Yeah. And that comes from these small disclosures. So I don't, I don't think you should wait until you know, because um, sharing will give you insight as to whether this is someone worth exploring with. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think I've seen you speak about that before on Instagram about just sort of like, there's no point waiting until you know, because you'll know by like, by talking about things, by sharing, you're not then three years deep into a relationship. Like, hey, by the way, this happened to me and this makes me feel like X and they've just run for the hills. Like you'd have been far better <laughs> off saying it a year in than, than waiting for three years. Um, because I suppose that... Yeah, three yeah three years in, <laughs> three years in to talk about what it is that we're building together only to find out that it is not at all the same thing that we thought we were doing together. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Actually, while, whilst I got you on, I, I have an analogy of, of modern dating and I'm maybe you'll sort of think the same and and people listening won't be able to see my hands here but i feel like monday relationships people the center here where my head is is someone's true self and they everyone starts out here when they're on their first date and they don't really show much of their true selves and slowly as the like the dates go on and the months progress they get closer and closer to being their true self and it gets this point where they're both the true selves and like fucking hell i don't like you one bit but it's a bit late for that now. We're a year in. Should we just keep going? And I feel like there's a lot of relationships out there um, that are like that. And that might be my cynical view of the world, but um, in a positive way, because it's forced me to be completely open and honest and, and vulnerable sort of from the start. So uh, this is a great segue into talking about Eric Fromm's book, um, the art of love. 
perfect. Uh, the art of love, the art of loving. And uh, what you're describing is is sort of like the stages of love. And during the infatuation period, you are under the influence of love. Mm. You are totally drunk or drugged on, uh, you know, this ideal version of the person that you're getting to know. And I, I sort of agree with what you're saying. I, you know, I, I don't know about the true self, the truth. I don't even know what my true self is. And so it's hard to, oh, yeah. to, to show that. So there's like, you know, this can get real esoteric here. But ultimately, um, yeah, at the very beginning, you kind of feel like the person that you have just met. You know, when you're falling in love, you've kind of, you've met the person that is going to save you from the inherent loneliness of being a human being. Mm-hmm. And that is ecstatic to have met someone that you feel finally gets you and understands you and is going to meet all of your relational needs in the very perfect way and seemingly has the guidebook on how to love you perfectly. And um, M. Scott Peck in The Road Less Traveled talks about this, uh, this dissolution of your ego boundaries, right? You become one. You become yeah. one at the, you know, falling in love is like, it's an amazing feeling. It is totally not realistic and sustainable and um, it is not a good indicator of, of long-term relational compatibility, but it is, it, it's one of the best feelings in the world. What happens sometime down the road is that you sort of find your ego boundaries again. You start yeah. to realize, you start to see your partner in a different light. It's almost like um, when you're out clubbing all night and then they finally turn the lights on. Yeah. And, you know, like the place is dingy, it's smoky, there's trash everywhere. And you're like, this is not at all. The ecstasy's wearing off. You're like, this is, yeah. this is not at all what I thought it was for a really long time. And it doesn't mean that, that club is bad. It doesn't mean that your person is bad. It just means that you're seeing them for who they really are. Because a lot of that infatuation, the, those loving feelings have started to wear off and are replaced with like reality. Which is yeah. this person has stories, needs, desires, traumas, wounds, experiences, fears that are working with mine, right? With my own fears, needs, desires, dreams, fears, stories, whatever. And we have to see if this puzzle is actually, these pieces are compatible. Yeah. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. Um, so what you're describing is totally like scientifically proven in the relationship psychology field. Yeah, nice work. Um, (laughs) And after that, you decide whether you want to continue loving this person. The the early stages are kind of easy. I mean, there is a lot of uncertainty at the beginning because you're trying to figure out whether this person also feels the same way. But when you both fall in love, that's the easy part. The hard part is, once the lights tr- go on in the club, you decide whether this is somebody that I want to invest in and continue working with, right? When you take your rose-colored glasses off and you realize that, oh, this is an- another person that has a lot of stuff that they're working through. Is this the kind of person that I want to invest in and explore with? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I love that because I think everyone has that sobering moment when they're out and they're in a club and all of a sudden they realize that the store, the floor is sticky and like they've now got to pay for a taxi home and, and maybe that taxi driver is going to ask them about their fucking relationships. (laughs) Uh, um, Have a camera on them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're going to go on YouTube. Um, Interesting. So we've spoken on a couple of of books there, Road, Road Less Travel, The Art of Loving and, and, non-violent communication uh there any other books that you have read that have really spoken to you like wow this is the fucking truth of course ignoring the fact that there is probably no objective truth but for you personally yeah several books uh that are worth mentioning susan piver the four noble truths of love so susan piver is a author teacher uh, meditation instructor and buddhist and in Buddhism, there is the concept of the four noble truths, yeah, uh, which, which is something along the lines of like, uh, 
life is full of suffering. Yeah, yeah. bit ducker. Yeah, th that is how it is. Once you accept the fact that life is full of suffering, here are some tools that might alleviate some of that suffering. But to uh, to deny the the existence of suffering will lead to more suffering, right? Yeah. So she took that sort, and I'm I'm totally butchering this for any Buddhist out there. I'm I'm so sorry. Um, she took this concept and applied it to love and relationships. Relationships are inherently hard and uncertain. Accepting that they are hard and uncertain will will alleviate some of that difficulty. And here are some tools that you can use to alleviate some of that difficulty. Um, one of the one of my favorite quotes in that book is, uh, "Just because you love someone, doesn't mean that you will love life with them." Right. So yeah. you can love someone and know that what you're building together is not great. It does not yeah. work. It is not a good fit. I've been in relationships like that, head over heels, with someone who wants different things than me, and and. They were also head over heels, but wanted different things. So that means that mm. us together is not loving. Like it is, it is going to be very, very challenging. And so loving someone isn't enough to, to, to overcome the challenges inherent in building a loving relationship, right? That requires like similar goals and dreams, similar values, wanting the same thing, um, being open and honest, uh, willing to do the repair work. Like that's asking a lot, right? So yeah, Susan Piver, I love all of her work. She also has a book called like, she's got a lot of book books. Um, oh, the wisdom of a broken heart. So if you're, if you're heartbroken right now, Susan Piver's the wisdom of a broken heart is fantastic reading. Mm -hmm. Um, all of her work is fantastic. And I've done some meditation retreats with her and she's fantastic. So that's one of them. So we love Susan Piver. That's good. We love Susan Piver. So uh, <laughs> another one that, uh, okay, I love the book. I don't know as much about the person and she might be a little, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson is a very important book for me. Um, I think Marianne Williamson, I forget, but I think she's a little kooky now. But like okay. this book was written in, in, in the 70s or the 80s. So you know, things change 20, 30 years can do a lot of things to a person. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a a, yeah, a return to love, reflections on the principle of A Course in Miracles. A Course in Miracles is a weird, God, I haven't even done this. And I'm sorry, if you've done A Course in Miracles, I'm going to butcher this also, but it's sort of like a spirituality, God-focused course. <laughs> That's all I can say. But this book is reflections on the principles of a course. It's so weird. Yeah. But okay. the book speaks a lot about um, it's 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 a strange book, but but it's a lot about um, a lot about letting go, letting go of control, yeah. right? Trusting in an immutable power of universal love. Um, there's a lot of I mean, she's Jewish, but there's a lot of like God speak in there, which is very interesting. Um, for me, God is. Uh, the the wisdom of the universe, the yeah. the, the the waves in the ocean, uh, some some sort of higher power that is not me, right? It, it's yeah. I, I use the term very very loosely, but there's a lot of concepts in this book around uh, letting go, right? Letting go of control, letting go of the steering wheel, trusting that um, your life will be okay, trusting that you are not for everybody and everybody is not for you, but that there are people there that you can build loving relationships with. So that's a book that I read pretty like at least once every couple years. And so yeah. is M Scott's Peck, A Road Less Traveled. I think that's, um, the subtitle is A New Psychology of Love, Traditional Values and Spiritual Growth. Again, very spiritual focused. Yeah. Um, some fantastic quotes in, in A Road Less Traveled. Anyway, those are some of, some, some of my like go-tos. Yeah. You speak, you, it seems like there is like a slightly sort of spiritual undertone um to these books of yours is that quite an important part of your life yeah because um i don't know i think there has to be something more right like they're yeah generally speaking especially with buddhist philosophy there's a lot of emphasis on letting go on compassion on empathy on not like the the non-judgment of others yeah and i think particularly now we're, we're like, you know, really quick to judge. Oh, she's a narcissist. 
oh, he's a narcissist. Oh, he's this, this, and this. Oh, he's this, this, and this. When really, we don't really know why or what people are. Like, hey, if you're, if you're a psychologist or a therapist and you're, you're doing clinical diagnosis on people and you can say without a shadow of a doubt that that person is a narcissist, cool. For the most part, we're throwing, you know, complex psychological diagnoses left and right on people just because we don't like the way they treat us. Yeah. So <clears throat> Buddhist philosophy and spirituality, at least my brand of it, <clears throat> has a lot more of an emphasis on like, this is a wounded person. This is a hurt person. This person is hurt in um, a different way than how I am hurt, but they are still hurt. Right? They're still wounded yeah. and they're doing the best they can. And sometimes their best really sucks. Yeah. And the why I like these kinds of approaches is that it really helps me take things not so personally. You know, mm -hmm. when somebody misbehaves towards me, they're not doing it because of me. Yeah. They're not like, oh, Sean is a bad person, so I'm gonna punish them. They're doing it because they are incapable of doing it differently. They're incapable yeah. of loving me in a way that makes sense for me. So it's actually extremely personal, but to them, right? So that allows you to get a lot of separation between your worth as an individual and how people or why people act the way they do. And this is going to make life a lot easier on you when you can realize that what people are doing, they're not doing too... I mean, yeah, you are the, the object, right? You are sort of the victim of yeah. whatever unhealthy behavior or however else they're, ha they're acting out, but they're not doing it because of you. They're doing it because of them, because of yeah. their inability to love or to be loving or to be open and to be honest. And so I think spirituality has 100% helped me deeply, deeply in seeing this dynamic, which just makes it a lot easier to live life because life is hard and I don't need to make it any harder on myself. Yeah, for sure. It's... Um... It's interesting in spirituality, something that I've sort of been called to or called into my life over sort of the last couple of years, a lot along with philosophy of in various different faces. And I think the biggest lesson that people can take from philosophy is that we're all fucked in our own unique ways. And especially when it comes to like delving into spirituality and meditation like the more you sit with yourself the more you're like okay if i can comprehend that i'm not alone in thinking these thoughts i'm going to be so much more compassionate with everyone else in the world because if i'm not crazy then they're not crazy either and i just think like a compassion like especially with with buddhism non-judgment that's great compassion that's great there's a bit of suffering in life that's not so great, but at least we can accept it. I think if there was any sort of religion or sort of line of philosoph philosophical thought that I'd most like to attach with without donning some sort of orange robes, and Buddhism would definitely be, be the one. Well, Buddhists will say that suffering um, isn't great, and it's also not not great. Um, yeah, it just the, is. Yeah, and, and when you try... It, it just is. A quote about if you try and conceptualize non-attachment your head will explode it's just one of those things don't try and think about yeah. buddhism too much yeah. <laughs> speaking of yeah, yeah that's true i mean there is there is an, an aspect of buddhism which is very much like contemplation right we're contemplating these dynamics mm -hmm. and then we meditate on them um my favorite definition of love again m scott peck a road less traveled um love is the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth so the, yeah, the extension like of that. self to nurture spiritual growth of self and other, right? Which is, I mean, that is a funky definition of love. Yeah. Most people are going to be like, well, love is, you know, being of, well, being of service is also an extension of oneself, right? To nurture one or one, one's own or another spiritual growth. So that's my favorite de definition of love. And it also ties really well into spirituality. Yeah, nice. And I'm, I'm just conscious of, of time here. And, and before we wrap up, I think it would be wrong not to touch on subjects. And I fear that I've left it a little bit too late in, in terms of timings, but love languages and attachment types, <laughs> how, how much do you sort of buy into that line of thought within relationships? So uh, 
Yeah, love languages, I think, are an interesting tool. That's mm -hmm. it. You know, it's it's interesting to know how your person or the people that are important to you in your life experience love. Yeah. I don't think there's an incompatibility between someone who is a words of affirmation person and someone who is a, you know, acts of service. Yeah. I think let's get proficient at receiving and giving all types of love whether it's gifts or compliments or you know quality time together or all the stuff that's not you know the in the five languages of love i think i think the five languages is pop psychology i think it's uh totally probably steering people away from connection rather than towards it in some cases right when someone's yeah. saying like well he's a I'm a words of affirmation person. He's an acts of service person, so it's never going to work. I think that 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 is totally a block. Uh, I think we can surpass the, the love languages. Yeah, uh, I think they are a guideline for how we like to be loved and a great place to start having a conversation around how you like to be loved. So yeah. that's one thing. Attachment theory uh, is definitely based in psychology. It is definitely uh, valid. Uh, psychological concepts that I also think people are really attached to. Yeah. Um, my therapist and I don't talk about attachment theory. A lot of my friends who are therapists don't really work with attachment theory. Um, th they work it, with it in, in so much that they are aware of the dynamics. Uh, there's a lot of content creators there that are doing a lot of great work around attachment theory and, and educating people around it. I think people are really attached to their attachment styles, which is why I think it's totally attached. valid to <laughs> that's well, that's yeah. One, that's one of the books. Um, Diane Poole Heller has another book that I think is better. Um, that is called the power of attachment, how to create deep and lasting intimate relationships by Diane Poole Heller. Um, yeah, attachment theory, cool. It's good to know about it. I think it's good to study a little bit. I think uh, it can also get in the way of connection because yeah. they're, they're like, well, he's avoidant and I'm anxious and it'll, never, it'll just never work. When in reality, what I think is that relationships are a beautiful opportunity for us to do the work, right? They are beautiful yeah. opportunities for us to heal parts of ourselves that need healing. And you can do that as an anxious person in a relationship with an avoidant person. You can do that as a secure person in a relationship with a uh, disorganized attached type person, right? So there are opportunities for us to build more closeness and more connection, regardless of our attachment styles and all the work that we do in whatever relationship that we're in will pay dividends for the rest of your life in all of your relationships. So don't throw it away because they're anxious or they're, or they're avoidant. Look at it as an opportunity for you to continue to do work on yourself and on your relationships so that you can be better moving forward. Yeah, I love that. So I suppose that kind of speaks to the quote that you said from The Road Less Traveled about love being part of lending self to, to other and, and the sort of spiritual growth of, of another person. Um, that is amazing. I think that is a, a good point to stop at unless you have other books that are screaming out at you. Um, I have a book list. I'll send you the link. It's uh, 15 oh, yeah. must read books on love and relationships. So people can just go and yeah, read all that. Oh, perfect. I'll chuck that on my Instagram story on, on the day that this goes up and I'll put a link in, in the description, but thank you so much for lending me your brain today. It's been great to chat to you. Um, where can people find you? Which I'll, I'll put links to everything um, that you say in the description. Yeah, perfect. Uh, people can find me on my website, SeanGalanos.com. That is where all the courses live. So I have courses on modern dating, great sex, um, how to get your needs met, healthy communication, and emotional availability. And also one on flirting, one on confidence. And then uh, the Love Drive, uh, at the Love Drive on Instagram and pretty much all social media platforms. So those that is where you can find me. Okay. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Sean. Well, thank you very much for listening to that episode. I'm sure you're all suitably educated 
on love, intimacy and relationships. Now, maybe you're ready to take a deep dive into that scary part of life. Maybe you're not there just yet. All of Sean's content is brilliant. I have been following him for a while, um, which is why I asked him to come on the podcast because I think he's he's got a lot to offer. In other news, if you would be so kind as to send me a voice note with a problem and I'll send you a book in return for the Book Doctor series. Send a voice note that is up to one minute to a need to read dot podcast at gmail.com. Information is in the description. And you get a chance to be featured on an episode and get a free bunch of book bags and bookmarks and maybe even the book that I recommend you. I appreciate it and it helps me keep the feature alive. Now all of the books discussed are in the description as well and of course as always if you are thinking about going to counseling you can get 10 percent off of better help by going to betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read but with that i shall leave you you're all absolute legends love you bye <laughs>